Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to the conclusion of our two-part special episode, Practice Saver to Practice Builder, Telehealth in Eye Care, Finding Synergies. We're glad you've joined us to hear Drs. Habash, Dierker, Rue, and Williamson conclude their conversation. This podcast was supported with advertising by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants, and are not necessarily those of Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation or its affiliates. Now, let's get back to the panel. Yeah, so yeah. we realize that we can't do everything with a, a retina patient flashes and floaters, but we can do things that are positive for our patients in our practice, right. utilization of telemedicine. Let's, you know, pivot to glaucoma. You know, we hear, boy, how can you do glaucoma treatment or, or anything that have to do with glaucoma in a telemedicine setting? Rania, what say you about that? Yeah, so glaucoma has been the biggest um, hurdle that I've <laughs> faced when trying to teach health medicine. Um, but you know, uh, there are a lot of sorry, there there are remote monitoring tools that are out there and can be used. Those are reimbursable as well. You know, the eye care is a great device that you can send home with a patient. Um, you actually get a fee for setting up the device for the patient, monitoring the patient like 20 minutes, I think per month um, and for um, you know monitoring them continuously then. So it, it ends up being, I think a hundred, maybe $135 or so as a recurring charge per patient per month. And that doesn't include the visits that the patient has with you. And so we have started to send the eye care um, out to some patients, especially our pediatric ophthalmologists are doing that quite a bit. So now it becomes like a revenue generating service. The patient feels really well taken care of. Um, and we're getting that kind of glaucoma data that we were lacking in the telemedicine uh, visit. Aside I'll, I'll jump in right there. I want to jump in and just say, I mean, you know, uh, certainly you could do the hybrid approach uh, with the glaucoma patients, right? And, and you know, talking about you know, things that, that, that doctors who are listening to this think that you can't do with telemedicine. Rania, when I saw you pop on your iPhone to the ocular, um, I was like, wow, because everybody always says, well, you can't do a slit lamp exam with telemedicine. Actually, you can, and you don't have to have this, this big fancy setup. You can just pop your iPhone on there and you can be looking at, you know, inside the eye. You can look at the lens, you can look at the nerve, you can look at the data. So, so yes, you can't, you know, judge someone's pressure looking across the screen, but you can do many other things, especially in the hybrid model. Yeah, so the patient comes in, has some testing, and maybe we have our counseling, and we can actually take our mask off and have a conversation with our patient about what is glaucoma and what what is what are they in for and why why do they have to take their drops every day? And I had several visits, you know, over the last couple of months where patients were having reactions to their drops, and we just determined that boy, they're a, a preservative-free option, or maybe it's scheduling for SLT or you know, there's lots of different things that we can determine just by having a great conversation with our patient and it doesn't necessarily require a slip of exam. I think to add to that, it also helps with compliance. So you are monitoring them a little bit closer. You have devices that they know that you're monitoring them so they can't become non-compliant. The same thing goes for things like myopia management, scleral lenses, how that's going. 
um, and for macular degeneration. So we can have these self-monitoring things, making sure that they're taking their vitamins, making sure that they're taking their visits um, and coming back. And so I think we can help our patients in a compliance form as well that we all battle on a daily basis, especially with glaucoma patients and patients that are on drops for a long period of time. Yep, that was again, very well said. You know, and, and then going back to the, the hybrid visit, um, which probably is a really good model for, for most glaucoma patients, you know, it is so invaluable when I can see a patient and then determine that they may be a suspect for glaucoma, but they're dilated already. So I need them to come back for a visual field another time. They love it though, when they can come in, they don't need to wait for me. They can go to whichever location is closest to them on a Saturday, I don't need to be there or after hours or whatever and get their visual field test, get their IOP check and go home. And then I call them or do a video call later on to go over the results and they love that. I mean, who would not love that kind of um, a situation? And then it doesn't- Rania, can, can you talk to about your like drive-through IOP clinic that you guys had? Yeah, yeah, we, it's, it's, uh, it's called an express visit. It's kind of like an express pass in Disney. <laughs> So you just have this like, you know, battery tests one after the other, then you get out. So it's, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the newer way of doing things for patients who do need to come in to have certain, you know, tests. Uh, but other than that, we did do an IOP drive-through check and we tried to make that sort of like picking up fast food. So they drove into the valet lot. One of our techs ran out, checked the pressure through the window <laughs> and then they would drive off and we'd call them back later and tell them, yeah, we're going to need to put you on, you know, a second drop or, or yeah, that's actually controlling your pressure very well. So um, there are lots of really interesting things that, um, that we've come up with and that have actually persisted because they're just great ideas. We did those as well. And we haven't been doing those the last couple of months. We use the eye care. If the pressure's good, they go home, we get a call later. If it's up, we bring them in, we do application and we, we go from there. But the patients liked it because there's a lot of patients that just did not want anything to do with going into a clinic. And I think as we get into the late fall and winter, we're gonna have these same challenges where people can't or won't wanna come in for an in-person visit. So we're gonna to have to be flexible in our thinking for how we provide care. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the next set of challenges and opportunities with telemedicine as we face the pandemic in, in, a, in this wave that we're going through right now. Well, I, I think that we've also touched on some things that, that are really valuable for us moving forward, not even just for pandemic times, but this is just better medicine. I mean, who wants a, a patient just for a pressure check to be taking up an appointment slot? I would much rather have a premium IOL patient in that slot instead, right? So now, you know, you kind of get your cake and you get to eat it too. You have a patient who comes in, you, you still get to bill for that visit. Um, but it's after hours or on the weekends and not taking up a slot in your appointment schedule, which is great for especially the young ophthalmologists or people starting to practice. Any other comments, guys? No, I think it's been great. Uh, I've got some action items based on what people are doing in their clinics outside of Indiana. So I think that we've got some efficiencies that uh, are, these, these are long lasting. We're making positive changes that are providing excellent care and making this more efficient. And then obviously the safety issue right now, but I'm really focused on the future and excited about how all of these things are going to shape the way we provide care, give patients more options. Patients want those options, but I agree with Brianna, we have to control this. We have to be the ones steering the, steering the ship here 
because if not, we're going to get run over. And we've got an opportunity right now, this narrow window where the things are changing so quick is we've got the opportunity to lead. And if we keep this a patient-centric model, and I think it's just going to work out for everybody. Yeah, I think uh, every time I, I talk to you guys, I, I learn something. And for me, my takeaway is just going to be trying to get that triage doctor, the virtual triage doctor on call, uh, get that started and implemented in my practice right away. So, you know, when telemedicine started, it was out of necessity. Uh, it was a, it was a, you know, practice savior, uh, you know, when COVID first hit. Now it's really a practice builder, I think. So look forward to implementing it in more ways. Excellent. Brianna, any final thoughts? No, I'm excited. And I think just everything we touched on, um, again, I learned something new from all of these calls. And I think the collaboration between ophthalmology and optometry, it's exciting to see these come together and continue to thrive um, in this environment. And I know that that will continue into the future. So I'm excited that we're all part of this conversation to keep pushing these conversations forward because this is where it starts. We have some questions which came in, and I think probably the first question I want to ask as a follow-up to what we just saw is, Blake, um, did you ever implement the acute uh, care service that you were talking about? Yeah, so what we've decided to do um, is have one of our ODs who <clears throat> really is leading the charge, excuse me, is really is leading the charge with our uh, uh, you know, different ways to implement telemed we kind of have him trying to figure out ways that we can do this. So yeah, so he and I, since uh, we've talked about this, he and I kind of sat down um, and kind of listed a couple different ways where our on-call doctors can implement this to perhaps not have to come in every single time a patient calls in, especially on the weekend. So the way we do it, we have 14 doctors that work with us and we kind of rotate call. So um, that's going to be kind of his plan is to try to uh, get all of our doctors to use this first before what we typically used to do, which is try to diagnose something over the phone or drive in to go see what ended up being a subconjunctival hemorrhage anyway. That's perfect. Yeah, that's how we're doing it actually at Baskin Palmer. We have our, our ODs uh, manning the ship here and uh, that clinic is open you know, all day basically. And so when the patient calls in and they have acute an acute issue, it's not like a medication refill or something like that, um, then they get put in this queue and the on-call OD does the visit. Um, and, in, and if they end up having to bring the patient in, the patient's not charged or anything like that, but most of the time, really about 70% of the time or so, they're able to handle these patients without having them come in. Um, and it's been a great revenue stream and of course a, a patient pleaser for us. So I, I like the way you're setting it up. I think. Um, Going, you know, speaking of the ODMD relationship, that's a perfect way to, to sort of marry that, that, uh, that process. And on that note, so if you're in a private practice with telemedicine, I think that it does still become a, a valuable thing to your clinic to offer your patients, at least on your website, have a banner where people know that they can get a hold of you if they need to, especially maybe possibly with more lockdowns coming, make sure that you have this in place. So yeah, sometimes it does make a little bit more business sense for you to not do it, but that's where it really is necessary to figure out how to bill and how to code for your time. So yeah. it still can be very lucrative. Well, actually, I think it's more lucrative because now you're capturing a lot of those patients who just called in on the weekend and, and, and have an acute problem and you still have to follow them up. It's just now you're, you know, you're actually getting two visits out of it, but it's not even about the revenue. It's more about, it's just 
exactly what you said. It's marketing for your patient population. They feel like you're there for them 24 seven, especially with more lockdowns coming in. And if they get something like a subconjunctival hemorrhage or corneal abrasion, or even if they get flashes and floaters and they need to come in and see you, then you know, you're gonna go in on a Saturday and see them because you know that they have a legit problem. Um, and I think that's where uh, the real value is there. Great. I think we're all, all on the same page with that one. Um, they, uh, there's a question that came up about uh, what do you think is the first step in terms of setting up your practice for telehealth? Um, and maybe that's a good kind of segue from what we just talked about. So what is the infrastructure? How do you even get started? Um, and I think probably the, the first thing you guys would do, and you, know, you, you let me know what you think, but you know, everyone has to be working towards the same goal. So when your receptionist picks up that phone, they have to be prepared to offer the patient a telehealth visit, you know, if it's after hours or at the end of the day or on a Friday afternoon or whatever, um, they need to be thinking all the time that the first line of defense is that telehealth visit, which is more of a triage visit. Um, and then they always have to be thinking about that in the top, um, in, you know, at as a first line of defense a lot of times, and they have to know how to set it up and sell it. Because you know, in the very beginning, we did struggle with staff saying things like, well, sorry, you won't be seeing Dr. Habash today. You know, it'll just be video. And you know, when the patient reads that um, in, in their statement, they feel like it's something inferior when really it's a tremendous improvement for them because now we're saving them a visit and actually being able to help them a lot more than they thought they could be helped. So um, would you all care to comment on that? Yeah, I, I think my, my take on this is, you know, um, there, there's, there's running with telemedicine and there's walking with telemedicine. When you're, when you're first getting started, don't go after the whole world, just go after some dry land. Just find you a piece of dry land and go after that. And what I'm getting at is just choose one uh, type of visit, right? So maybe it's, as we were talking about in the webinar, maybe it's your, maybe it's a couple of your post-ops, maybe not all your post-ops, but maybe, maybe just three or four of your cataract, straight cataract post-ops, day ones. Maybe just give it a shot and, and see what you think. Maybe go through your list for next week or the week after and maybe try to pick out one of those chronic dry eye patients that perhaps you're, you're treating uh, for, you know, maybe you just put them on restasis uh, and you're, you have them coming back in four to six weeks and you're going to talk to them. Uh, just just kind of pick a handful of those patients, just two, three, four patients, right? And set yourself a little, a little window of time and just try it, right? Because, you know, it, it's tough to tackle this. It seems like such a big thing. And it, I think that once you put your hands on it and touch it and feel it, you'll, you'll realize it's really not that foreign to you. And it's, it's really pretty natural, actually. So once you do that, uh, I think that it also is important to pick a platform, right? So, so you have to choose. There's a bunch of different ways that you can do this. You have to choose a platform. My personal opinion would be to choose a platform that doesn't require your patients to download an application. Um, and it's something that they know to, how to already use, something that's text-based. And there's a few different ones. The ones we use is doxy.me. I have no financial interest in the company, but it's just an easy way to do it. It doesn't require them to download anything. It's all text message based. So, so choose something like that that's easy for your patients to do. Just choose a subset of patients and go after them and uh, get started. Great advice. Yeah, doximity is the same way. And I cannot agree with you anymore. Like you have to make it as simple as possible. And uh, a web-based platform is really the way to go. Um, Brianna, do you have any comments? We just kind of all got thrown in the wolves in March, right? And so I think I had my first telemedicine and I had set up a, a doxy.me. Again, no financial interest there. But 
I think I had my first telemedicine thing set up in under a minute. So it does not have to be complicated to do it. Um, and again, it just comes back to the billing part. So are you going to charge that patient cash pay before you sign into doxy.me? Are you going to charge that patient um, their, their insurance information? So you got to get that before you go in. So there's some steps that you got to take just to make sure that everybody wins at the end of that visit. So again, it's nothing that we're going to give away for free. I can't say that enough um, or else that's what people are going to start to come to accept from telemedicine. And that's not it. Um, as doctors, you also got to figure out when you're going to put this in your schedule. So I actually went through this as a patient. The doctor had me on the link for an hour and 20 minutes before he decided to pop on. So we run behind and we have to understand that as physicians to not make that wait because you can't walk up to you know, a waiting room and see if somebody forgot you. So I was kind of like emailing back and forth. They kept telling me that he was coming and I'm trying to go in between patients. Um, so we have to be very conscious still and really make sure that you're running on time with these patients or else they're gonna get really frustrated. And it's that customer service experience that we all have to offer. Yeah, that was really well said. I, I just took a few notes here because um, again, I think if we talk about anything we still need, this is probably the most important thing because, you know, people can hear us talk all day about, you know, how great it is, but then until, you know, they've actually implemented it, that's really the, 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 the problematic part, potentially problematic. Um, but I would agree. So if we looked at this as steps, step one, I would say, review your schedule. And that's how we got started actually at Bascom Palmer. So when things shut down, we just, um, and I'm just using this as because we're still using it on a very on a daily basis, even though we're not shut down. But this is how we actually got started, how we took the plunge. We all went through our schedules. We saw exactly what Blake was saying. You know, those dry eye patients who just needed a follow up. Those, you know, kind of pre-surgical uh, cataract patients who were 20 happy um, and didn't need anything. You know, or just needed check-ins. So those are the types of patients who were perfect for this. Um, and we identified those and then set them up as telehealth visits. So that was step one. Step two, we train the staff um, and we actually wrote them scripts because if you, if they go off script, they are bound to screw it up because they're not really used to things, uh, to, to selling things like you would. Um, and so you, you have to make sure that it's a positive message, that you're selling it as a very important thing. And you know, you also have to inform them this is gonna go through their insurance, right? Because we all do it a thousand times a day for free. We're just used to doing that. And now this is a different mentality. And I've noticed that our patients have really caught on. They, they got used to it now that every time they're going to pay copay um, and it's going to go through their insurance. So I think that mentality has shifted quite a bit. The third thing I would say, you need your staff to help you. Um, when you saw Blake's video, what you noticed is he wasn't the one making those calls or sending those links or doing anything like that, right? It was all lined up for him perfectly and he just got handed the iPad. Um, and that's so important. That's one of the major lessons that we learned. You need your staff to get the patient connected. Um, verify, you know, their appointment 15 minutes ahead and make sure that, that their, you know, pop-up blockers are not going on or whatever. Um, and make sure that they're ready for you by the time you're ready. Um, and the other thing that we've made sure of now is that our technicians are taking the chief complaint history of present illness, you know, and filling out that encounter already. So we come in, it's actually really fun. I mean, you, you come in, you do the doctor part and then you get out and it's awesome because it's, it's not like a regular clinic now. Um, everything's sort of done for you. You're sitting in one place and 
patient just comes to you. And it's, um, it's actually, once you get in the groove, it's a, it's, it's a really efficient system that way. And then the last thing I would say is exactly what you said, Bree, which is do not mix your telehealth visits and your regular patient visits. That is like rule number one, this is telehealth 101. Um, you have to have a special template. It's either an afternoon, a morning, a day after surgery, whatever you know the case is, but those are your telehealth visits. And that's where your staff knows to put those patients. Um, because if you start mixing in between other patients, inevitably you're gonna make a patient wait for an hour and a half like you had. Um, and that's a real um, downer for a patient. They're, they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna embrace telehealth after that. So those are kind of my, my four steps for getting ready. <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Perfect. Case closed. That's all you need, people. Oh, sorry, I <laughs> rambled on there, but I think it really is an important subject. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Uh, thank you for going through this. It is so helpful to hear. It felt intimidating to start. Wasn't sure where to feel a lot more confident now um, that I can apply what I've learned tonight as soon as tomorrow. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. I'm not sure who wrote that, but it's really nice. I'm glad we could help you out. Um, and you're welcome to reach out to any of us too if you have any questions along the way. So one of the other questions we had is, um, do you think that we will be headed back towards a heavy amount of telehealth uh, with the spike with the spikes in COVID? I mean, I, I do, um, but I will tell you that uh, we, we've run monthly checks on how many telehealth visits we're doing. We actually, we, we never went back down again as soon as things opened up. Um, you know, it went from like basically zero to 60 and then stayed around maybe 45 or so um, until October. And then we started to see an uptick, uptick in telehealth visits again. So it never went back down to zero again. What did you guys notice with that? Yeah, so, so for us, uh, we're around 250 or so visits a month. So not a tremendous amount, but you know that's post-op visits, that's uh, uh, LASIK counseling, stuff like that, that we're using it routinely for. Um, and you know, uh, for a while there, when it was the only thing we could do, uh, we were doing some 100 visits a day uh, between all of our doctors, uh, all 14 of our doctors were, were putting in. So it was a tremendous amount because that was everything in our only lifeline to our patients. Um, so, you know, if more spikes come uh, and, and we are headed back for lockdown, um, you know, th that's something that we'll have to just address when we get there. But I just have a feeling that that the, the sort of lockdown when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, uh, clinics and and, and healthcare systems, I don't know if it'll be the same as it was in March. You know, while I think there may be some stay-at-home orders and things like that, I don't know that our medical, uh, our medical, you know, state medical boards are going to be shutting down, um, you know, procedures and clinics like they were last time. Uh, just because, well, for uh, that's a whole nother webinar. But so, so hopefully we won't have to shut our clinics down like we like we did in March. But I do think that you know telehealth is going to be. Uh, back it, it, even higher levels because people got a taste of it back in March and April. And if they do start to go to some type of hybrid system, at least they got used to it back then and, and touched it back then. And I think they're going to be more willing to adopt it now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, now people are just used to it. And now when I talk to patients, they say, oh yeah, I've got another telehealth visit with my primary care doctor in 15 minutes. Like they get it now. It's just like a way of life for them. So um, we, we're actually in much better shape now to move forward and ramp up the visits even more than we have been 
But I'll tell you, we're doing a really steady amount already. I mean, for my patients, it's maybe about 30% telehealth, and that's not just post-op visits. So um, it's still a lot um, just because it works and patients love it. And, you know, I find reasons to fill my in-person clinics with patients who um, are surgical or have more complex issues um, rather than, you know, those quick dry eye follow-ups or whatever. So um, for me, it's been a revenue generator and a patient pleaser and a provider pleaser for those reasons. Bree, did you have something to say? Yeah, so one of the questions here, you know, it, how to get your patients to feel comfortable with telemedicine or telehealth is, you know, you can even do little things as people are coming into your clinic, letting them know that you are a telehealth provider, just something at your check-in on your front desk. Having a little banner on your website goes a long way. We all have little email systems that you can send out to patients. So I would get ahead of this curve and let people know you do provide it. So I think you can do a little marketing behind there that will go a really long way. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. And then again, I think you got to start versing your staff because they're your lifeline. So our smaller clinics that aren't doing these 250 telemedicine visits, you know, I'm in a, a, a three doctor practice. Um, so we're still kind of pivoting those ways. I, um, in those types of clinics, yes, it does have its place for myopia consults and how are your contact lens patients doing and your contact lens follow-ups, you can use that way. So in private practice settings, start there, start on your contact lens follow-ups. Like how many times do patients come back to their contact lens follow-ups without their contacts in? So right there, you're right in the same place. So you can kind of start there and then those baby steps. So where you feel more comfortable with it, they feel more comfortable with it and your staff feels more comfortable with it. And then you can go there. Very good. Do we have time for one more audience question? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Blake, you can choose one, go for it. So did, did you guys touch on this? So one, one question is asking, does it make sense to, uh, as an OD to do a lot of telehealth? I find I make more from my business by not doing as much. Um, Bree, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it, you, it still can be very lucrative. So I've pivoted into like myopia management, doing more consults from home. So just like we were talking on the webinar where you have one patient in the office, you say a bunch of uh, information, they go home, then you un they undo everything that you did. So it's really having that family present together that you can save a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of follow-up questions so it does make sense for also triaging, you know, those patients we were talking about for, you know, flashes and floaters. So can you save a patient a visit from coming into your clinic if you're just going to refer them to retina? Yeah, it's fun to see those things um, and figure it out. But if you know that you're going to, you know, if it's not a migraine aura or if it's not something else, or if you think it is a PVD, bring them in. And if you think it's something further, then, you know, why are we going to waste that patient's time and waste a spot in your clinic when you could be doing something else as well. So I think we have to figure out ways to work together um, to provide yeah. really good patient care. Yeah, I think that the, the way that that question is worded, it, it almost is, it almost seems as if the, 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 the uh, person asking it is, is makes it sound like it's uh, either one or the other. And I think our point is, is that it should be in addition to, and Bree, you just said, you know, you're, it's all about taking the, not taking the place of another visit. So, it, you know, when you think about it, 
whenever I wasn't doing telemedicine and I had all 20 or 30 of those post-op day ones in my clinic, that was 20 or 30 slots that were totally eaten up of patients that were within their global period that I was making nothing on. So instead, I see all of them in less than 30 minutes in a very convenient, efficient way. Um, and I start my clinic. And so now I'm seeing 30 more patients a day uh, on my post-op day. Uh, because I did that. So for the, for the uh, person asking that, I, I would just kind of say that it doesn't have to be one or the other. I would kind of figure out things that you can, you know, the, anything that you could do over telemedicine and then book those patient slots with, with other things that are revenue generating and practice building. So, so you'll build your practice doing this. It's not going to take away from your business. And start there, start with the contact, your contact lens follow-ups, you know, a bunch of the time, especially just start with your daily contact lens patients. You don't need to see those patients back. You can, you know, they're going to be successful um, and then send them a link to order their contacts. So that can really go in that direction. And just like Blake said, now you have a whole nother slot that could have been used for somebody else, or you get to go home early that day. Cause I mean, use this for your benefit. It can benefit both parties 100%. Yeah, that was great. I, I do think we should spend a little bit more time on this uh, this question, actually. I'm glad you picked this one because um, I don't want people to get the impression that it is one or the other. Just like you said, you know, this is an adjunct um, and, and probably a really good way to think about it is exactly what you guys said. Let's just identify some patients who are perfect for this, right? We've all been in clinic, tired as hell, like behind. And then we get to that patient who we put plugs in six weeks ago and they're back and you're looking at each other and you're like, are you feeling better? And they say, yep, doc, I'm, I'm good now. And you're like, okay, thanks, see ya. <laughs> and they just waited like two hours to see you. And you're like, wow, that could have really been just a telehealth visit. It would have made them, made a lot more sense for them, for me, for everybody, right? Um, those are perfect for telehealth. So let's just take some ideas right now blepharitis patients that you put on, you know, Maxitrol or warm compresses, artificial tears, whatever, and you want to follow them up in a couple weeks. Perfect. Um, dry eye patients, same thing. Um, check on restasis. And, and on those visits, Rania, when you're talking about that, right? Those patients may never have come back. Right. They it's don't... another visit that you get to bill and yeah. you get to follow up and you have a captive audience. So That's... we time and time again, will schedule a follow-up. Look how many times those get canceled. Yeah. So it is not a loss of revenue. It's actually a, an addition to your revenue. So yep. it's just a little mind flip for sure. But okay. I'm glad you brought that up because they feel better. They think they don't need to. And they, what deters them the most is they don't want to come back. Definitely a Baskin Palmer. They don't want to come back and sit for two hours just to tell you they're doing fine. <laughs> so, you know, if you can give them that option of just being at their desk at work um, and just, you know, getting on a, a quick video call with you, that's awesome. That's perfect for them. It's perfect for us, you know, so it's a win-win. Those are really good patients to do it with. Um, let's see other ones uh, when I'm doing like surgical counseling and I want them to go home and kind of, um, here's a good one for you, Bree. Um, I, I send them out with like a monovision contact lens trial or something like that. Right. And I want to get their feedback before we start planning surgery. Um, another really awesome one just to do a counseling visit with in a couple of weeks to see how they did. Um, so we're gaining that revenue, not wasting another office slot, um, and they're much more comfortable and they, they like that kind of visit much more. Um, and then I also think this is a good time um, to talk about another visit that we're not capturing, but really should be capturing. Um, 
So number one, um, when, when you see a patient, Brie, and you have, uh, let's say you find an epiretinal membrane or something like that, would, it, would you love it if you could just reach out to the retina doctor and say, what do you think about this OCT? And then get his take on it right then and there on the spot for the patient? Yeah, and that happens, at, like, it's all happening right now. We just have never, like, charged for it, right? Yep. So I think we're just all leaving so much on the table for both our patients and for our clinics. Um, so, you know, none of us have gotten a raise in how long from vision plans or insurance companies, and that's only going to get worse here again in 2021. So we're going to have to find ways that are better for us where we don't have to see a million patients to still make the same amount of money um, and then take care of people better. So again, when you're driving an hour there, you're stuck in traffic to get to your dry eye follow-up, um, that's where we can really steer in a different, better direction, so. Yeah, um, and I, I like this type of visit because patient is so impressed every time this happens that you got the retina guy on the phone or on the video really quickly. I mean, usually I'll just set up the video slit lamp and I'll get the retina guy to come in and weigh in um, on the spot. So the patient has had now two visits in one session, you both bill for it um, because you're in different tax IDs. And it's, again, it's a win-win-win for everyone. Um, and, and I think that's a really good visit to do um, from an OD-MD perspective. Uh, Blake, what do you think about that? Yeah, my, my mind goes to those patients whom, um, you know, I, I like to send a retina to okay for cataract surgery. Um, yeah, there's, there's, you know, any number of patients who have mild ERMs or, you know, this little paraphobial cyst that's been chilling for like three years, but I send them to the, the retina doctor so that it just it imprints in their brain that they have a retina problem, uh, yeah. bef before I do their laser cataract surgery. Um, even though I know the retina doctor is going to say, yeah, this is fine. Go ahead, proceed. Um, so, you know, if I could do something like that. Uh, without them having to actually go to that extra visit, especially during COVID, um, I think that that's something that could benefit, you know, my patients and is still accomplish the same goal, uh, which is to kind of cover me uh, uh, in the instance that God forbid their ERM worsens after surgery or something and they don't think I, I caused it. So, so I think that's how I could kind of use that in my practice. Yeah, that's perfect. And, and make sure that the retina guy knows that he can bill for that too. That's a, that's a, a, a consult code. So, um, you know, that's a, a, a revenue maker for both of you because you're doing the work, you deserve it. You know, I, I, I hate it when people think that we're just talking because we want to make money. It's not that we just want to get paid for what we're doing. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a, a great way that we're offering a patient um, an on the spot consultation like that, which is so invaluable. I just don't think we give ourselves enough credit for the things that we do naturally. Um, and, uh, you know, and also get reimbursed for it. So that's my take on that. Okay, I think we're pretty much out of time. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to add? All good. Um, it's another e excellent session. Uh, definitely have some pearls that I am going to uh, call my retina guy. I'm, I'm texting him right now. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I mean, it's great because you're, you're on this webinar because you are a leader in the field, but you're also still learning too, just like we all are. So oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really important that we all share our best practices with each other. Yeah, totally. No, it's great. We always from learn something new every day and it helps us keep pushing forward and really being the leaders of it for all of us so we can all come together.
just like you said on that video, if we're not leading it, we're going to be fighting legislation in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, that was so well said, Brie. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to BMC and Novartis for making this possible. Have a great night. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to this special episode. We'd also like to thank Drs. Habash, Dierker, Rue, and Williamson for their participation. This podcast was supported with advertising by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The opinions and views expressed during this program were those of the individual participants and were not necessarily those of Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation or its affiliates.